Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your goodness. Thank you, Lord, that you live within us. Lord, and you are so good. Lord, how wonderful it is to be part of your family. Lord, to know that we've been adopted in as children, what a great pleasure that is. And Lord, this morning I'm just praying that, Father, you would draw us even closer to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we've sort of been looking at culture stuff. Um, who do we want to be as Christians over the last few weeks? And if you don't know who I am, I'm Neil. Sorry, I should introduce myself, pastor here. And um, yeah, I guess like there's been so much challenge in uh, my thinking in so many areas over years, as we all do, but it always comes back to, am I living the way that Jesus wants me to live in this world, or am I not? And just as we were seeing this morning, just the beauty of the peace that comes to those who sow righteousness is amazing. You'll be, if you haven't entered into that place of following Jesus, let me tell you right now, you're missing out on this amazing life, just this feeling of contentment within, even when things are wrong, there's this contentment. And it comes through our following Christ, not just believing about him, but actually following him. Are we dedicating our lives to follow after the things that Jesus has asked us to do? And it's a big question to ask ourselves because um, the reality is that um, as we look out on the world, as we think about people in our life that might have even said that they're Christian, and we look at their lives, sometimes it, it doesn't compute, does it? You know, you get this feeling of like, if this is so real, why are they so much like that? Why is it that the way they live their life is nothing like what they preach. The way they conduct themselves is nothing like what I thought God was like. And so we get this turmoil sometimes inside of us about, you know, is it even worth following Christ? Because everyone's hypocrites. You know, and, and there's some truth to the fact that we are um, trapped in this world of sin and there's temptation and there's things like that. But the thing is that as Christians, we have overcome the world, which is... This amazing ability is given to us through the Holy Spirit to live a God-honouring, love-filled life that actually is not lived in hypocrisy. And we've got to think, well, if this is real, shouldn't I be living it out? Shouldn't I be, be walking in the ways that God has for me and living how he wants me to live? And... And so, like, I don't know, I guess, like, over years, it's been that way with me. I've seen, you know, the rise and fall of different Christians and Christian leaders over time. But you know what? The majority of them have stuck with Christ and they've lived honourable lives towards God. But it's those moments of time when people like us look at others and we're discouraged because of the way they act that we need to turn our eyes back to Christ and put our trust in him. As I said last week, the Bible clearly says, cursed is the man who trusts in man. Because man is going to let you down at some stage. We're not going to hit the mark every single time. And that's the beautiful thing of the, the grace of Christ is when we fall that we can come back and he accepts us back, but not only accepts us back, but gives us this power to live a life that is without the world, that, that, that we're in this place where we're not actually interested in the world anymore, the system of the world, which is what we're going to be challenging, I guess, over these next six months. Are we living in the system of the world and following the customs and behaviours, or are we different as Christians? Have we actually been transformed? And, and that's the challenge. It's like, 
if I'm going to call myself a Christian, there must be transformation in my life. It's impossible to really follow after Christ without transformation. And if your life is not being transformed, you have to consider, am I actually really following Christ? You might believe in him, you might believe in the death of, uh, on the cross and the resurrection, which was for our life, but what about following? See, the call of discipleship is given out to people, and Jesus said it this way to those that he chose. He said, follow me. Follow me. Follow him, Christ, God in flesh. Follow him, the way he lived, the way he walked, the things that he taught. Follow me. And when we think about it being an invitation, it changes the responsibility so much because who follows? Those that choose to follow. Christianity is not something that is forced from someone else to make you be like someone else, to make you be like God or to to force you into some sort of mould. Christianity is a decision of our heart to follow and the responsibility is squarely on us to follow which means that when we're disappointed, when we're discouraged, when we're let down, we are not following after a person, but we're following Jesus, although we follow the example of other Christians, absolutely. And I just want to challenge that within us. Are we really followers of Jesus Christ? Or are we believers? Are we those that just confess Jesus Christ, but actually our heart is not transformed? As I said, and I'll say it again, All throughout my life, if there is no transformation in your life, you have to seriously question whether you are following him or not. If you are still the same person that you were before you met Jesus, if there's still resentment, bitterness, hatred, uh, pride, self-love, attractiveness to the things of the world, then you must think, am I actually really following Jesus? Because he has given us a different way to live. We are not to be the same. We are to be transformed by renewing our mind and the way we think. And that is why we are being challenged over this time about whether or not we actually really live for Christ. When Raj was talking this morning, he was basically saying, God has given us a way to live. Are we going to follow it? Are we going to actually follow this way to live or are we going to continue to walk in the way that we've always walked? Am I even going to learn at all? Because Jesus challenged the disciples, he said, come and learn from me. You see, we can come, but we cannot learn. We can come, but not grow. And we can blame everyone else for that. We can blame everyone because they didn't do enough for us, they didn't feed us enough, they didn't show us enough, they didn't teach us enough. But Jesus says, you come, you learn. Make a decision in your heart that I am going to change, that I'm going to grow, that I'm going to be like Christ. Because you know what? Jesus must have been the most wonderful person to be with. Crowds followed him. Now, I know they rejected him near the cross when he died. And, and again, that was that struggle that people had. You know, like, I want to believe, but the old system sometimes holds me down. But Jesus was awesome. He was fun to be with. He was that, that person that, that just loved to help and be kind and considerate. And that was the verse we looked at in Ephesians, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving. 
just as Christ has forgiven you, that, that this call that we have now is to change the way we think. If you're not being kind, there's a problem. If you're not being loving, there's a problem. And the problem is your heart has not been changed or transformed by the power of Christ working within you. You haven't opened up your heart to the love that he has for you. You haven't opened up your mind to the word of God to transform you. And what I wanted to look at today is really this, how James is going to write about, well, James did write, about some of the ways to live as Christians together. And the first challenge from Jesus about leadership, the way that, that our mindset is, and while he was talking about the leaders of this world, I want you to think about it in terms of yourself. Because everybody here is a leader somewhere in life. You lead your family, you lead your friends, you might lead in the workplace, you might lead hundreds, you might lead one. But we are given responsibility to be people of influence in this world, which means we need to learn to lead the way that God says, not the way the world says. And this means that we're going to have to start to tear down our own self, our selfishness our pride, our desire to be in control and in charge. And, and the thing is that when Jesus comes and talks about this, we're going to read it in a, in a second from Mark. It's contrary to the way that we're often taught about what leadership is. It's about this boldness and getting out and making people do what we want them to do and, and leading them in, into places fearlessly. And if they don't agree with us, we push on anyway and, and we, we serve for our own self-interest. That's leadership, this clamour to get up the ladder of this world, to, to make sure that we rise above everyone else and as we're doing it, we don't mind whose heads we're stepping on to lift us higher. Jesus challenged that with the disciples because this is the story that we're looking at. Where they were arguing amongst themselves. They're like walking with Jesus and they've been with him for a long time and, and basically they want to be the most important. How many people struggle with that? I need importance. I need this feeling of being important and the only way I can get that feeling is to be promoted, to be in charge, to be higher than everyone else. That's what's going to give me worth in this life. Oh, we see it everywhere, don't we? We see it everywhere. That desire to be the one who is in charge, to be the boss. And I used to see it in my workplace all the time. Foolish things where our mind is so puffed up with pride, where, where guys would be like, I'm in charge, I've been in here the longest, even though I'm incompetent. And they'd want to lord it over the other one. I'm the one in charge, I'm the one who's the boss, you have to listen to me. And the struggle for that power and control was so obvious. And that is half of the problem in this world, that there's so much struggle to have the power and to make others dependent. Or to make others feel less than. To, to, to have control of things in life, yet Jesus came and showed another way. That our life does not belong to us anymore, but to him. And so our life becomes one of service, as, as was talked about this morning, that we are now not who we used to be, but as people of God, we become servants, just as Christ did, that's what Matt was talking about in, in the in the giving talk in Philippians, Christ emptied himself. 
became one of us to serve. Why? Because he knows that the only true way to really live a free and wonderful and life-giving life is that we become servants of other people. So the disciples were arguing and, and, and Jesus was like, what is going on? You guys aren't understanding the way the kingdom of God works. And if we can get that in our heart as people of God, if we can become this sort of person that we're going to look at today, it is going to transform society. It is going to transform your families. It's going to transform your relationships. How many marriages are ruined by control where one wants to control the other? I, I am so saddened, like I was in Adelaide the other week, and and they're talking about this massive crime against women at the moment is this, that men are financially controlling their wives to the point where they will go to the shop with them and make sure they watch everything they spend. And it's on the rise. They said this financial abuse is growing where people want to control and they're not joining together as one, but there is someone who is trying to dominate and control a relationship. It's everywhere. And if we have that attitude wherever we are, we are going to try and have things our way and manipulate and control and tread on other people to try and get what we want. Whenever you are in a situation where you use power or authority to control someone else, you are not living a God-filled life. Because Jesus gave authority and he had power to release people from these things. He said, I come to set the captive free. Yet we know Jesus came in power. We know he came in authority. But the point was this, people need to be free. They need to be free to be who they're called to be. They need to be free to live a life of freedom and love themselves. And so... Our Christian life is all about that. Am I freeing people? Am I lifting people up? Am I bringing them from where they are to where they should be? To know that they are not pathetic and useless and nobodies, but in Christ Jesus they are loved and they are given a purpose and they are given a name. And they are given dignity. Absolute dignity. And as you look across this world, you see it all the time where, where people with money and power control everything and, and sometimes I sit there and I'm like, who gave them the right to make the rules? Who gave them the right to manipulate people and systems and economies to make sure that they benefit? Have you ever seen that where, where people are so powerless because this authority over them is corrupt or ruling in a bad way. And nations are plunged into poverty because government is evil. Because those that are in charge of the land hoard up for themselves and don't release to those that need it the most. It's a problem. And as a church, we need to address it with our own lives first. Are we that person? So let's look at what Jesus said to his disciples in Mark 10. So they're arguing about being the greatest. 
Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people. Officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others. And to give his life as a ransom for many. Can you see the heart of Christ Jesus here? The desire to be first must be killed off. Yet it must be alive as well. But the attitude behind why it is, is the thing that needs to be challenged here. And Jesus was clearly saying that if we are going to be people of God, in fact he said this is what will happen, and you know it happens in your life when Jesus takes hold of your life, that you are now here to serve others. It doesn't mean you're a slave to do everything that they want to do, but to serve others, to give your life up for other people, not just live for yourself. And he's making a comparison between what it's like to be someone who rules in the world and someone who rules in the kingdom of God. (coughs) Excuse me. What's our attitude to be like? Wherever we are, what's it like in our workplace, in our family, in the church here today? What is it like? Do you come with this expectancy to be served? Do you come with an expectancy to serve? Do you feel so self-important that everyone else needs to run around after you? Or do you understand that love is fulfilled when we are working for one another and serving each other in love? The strange thing is when we actually all love each other and give to each other, we receive so much more in return. How can that possibly be? I love three people. Three people love me back. I get three times as much love as I give away. If it's working well, if the body of Christ is sinking together, I'm serving three people, but I'm being served by three people. That's how the kingdom works that those who give will receive more back. And the challenge that we have is to go, are are we serving other people? What's my attitude where I am in my workplace or in government or wherever it is, in my friendships, in my family? What am I there for? This world needs excellent government. Government is so important. Because when you have righteous rulers, the nation rejoices. When rulers have a heart for the people, the nation grows and prospers. And it's exactly the same with us if we're leading in any organisation, any business, anything. And our heart is this, what is best for everyone, not what is best for me. So let's go and have a look at James. Oh, now this is going to challenge you, this passage. (laughs) You can't not. 
But James is one of those books in the Bible that challenges our heart so often. It, it cuts us deeply. But it's like the wounds of a friend, you know, that, that bring you life. Now, I would like to hope that everybody here wants to be wise, right? I think that's a pretty good goal. You want to understand God's ways. You want to prove it. This is how you're going to prove it. If you're wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honourable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you're bitterly jealous, if there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual and demonic. Forever there is jealousy and selfish ambition. There you will find disorder and evil of every kind. Who knows that's true? You see, where there's this clamour for the top, where there's this selfish ambition to be the best, to have, where there's jealousy because you don't want someone else to succeed, you want to pull them down. The Bible's very clear what happens. And it can happen in churches. I've seen it. It can happen anywhere. Where, where people want to be recognised, where they want to be in charge, where they want position. And it comes from this false understanding that position means respect. Position means authority. Now, we should respect those that are in authority over us. The Bible clearly teaches us that. But you see, the heart of a true leader in the kingdom of God is this, that they will lay down their life for others. And so what, what this does, it changes everything because when we're not there for the wrong reason, when we're not there for selfish ambition, it removes these things, disorder and evil of every kind. It removes it, it gets rid of it because where there's jealousy and selfishness, it's earthly. And this needs to be challenged in our life. Jealousy destroys people. Now, we're not talking about I'm jealous because my girlfriend talked to someone else. We're talking about I'm jealous because you have what I want and I don't have it. Have you ever checked that attitude of your heart before? where you've looked at someone else and thought, they've got everything, or how come they're always promoted, or how come they've got this and that and whatever. This is the devil's playground, my friends. This is where you start to hate. This is where you start to get bitterness. This is the start, start of anger. And yet as Christians, we're called to a very different life of leadership. To serve those around us. And why am I talking about this? Because you know what I want to see with us as a church? That we're living the way Jesus wants us to live. That whenever anyone in this church thinks about, I want to be a leader, what they're really saying is this, I have been born to serve others. 
I want to be able to lift people up to become the person of God that they want to be. And this is something that I love because I, I look at my family and I think about how I treat my wife. And when my eyes are this, this is God's child and I want her to be everything that God's created her to be. It changes who I am as a person. When I look at my children and, and my heart, is just I just want you to be the best you that you can be. I don't want to form you in my image, but I want to help form Christ in you. It changes everything that I do. And yet, so many people try to manipulate and control things for their benefit. God has not called us to this life. The cross is a beautiful place, my friends. I love the cross. I love it because at the foot of the cross, God has destroyed every earthly kingdom, every earthly authority, every earthly level and brought us down to this one place. We're all sinners that needed Jesus. It doesn't matter which side of the track I'm from. It doesn't matter if I'm living in a mansion. It doesn't matter if I'm living in a refugee camp. The blood of Jesus Christ is needed by every single person on this planet to wash away their sin and change you from a sinner to a saint. The cross is so powerful because it destroys cultures, it destroys languages, it destroys race, it destroys gender, it destroys position in life. And to each and every person, the life of Christ is now made available. Each and every person has been given this opportunity to live a life of love. Each and every person no matter which side of the tracks they're on, has been given a brand new heart. And that is the beauty of the cross. If you've never experienced it, if you've never given your life to Jesus, I'm just going to give opportunity in a minute to do that. But for those of us who have, I want to ask you this question. Are you a believer or are you a follower? Because the Bible says that even the demons believe in Jesus Christ. But the one to whom this life of peace is given, I think there was another verse there, wasn't there? It's one, I'm not sure. Can we have a look? Next one, is there another one? No. Something about seeds of... There we are. <laughs> Those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. Isn't that beautiful? That as Christians, as those who have now been accepted into Christ, that we are now called to be peacemakers, ones that sow seeds of righteousness wherever we go righteousness, to live the way that Christ wants us to live, planting seeds of peace everywhere we go, that God loves you, 
that God wants to restore your relationship with him. God wants to restore your relationship with me. Have I got a picture of that bridge there? Mama? I don't know if you remember this. A few years ago, I, I looked at this picture and I had a little video of these bridges in India. It's called the Living Tree Bridges. You know, whoops. <laughs> you can look it up if you want. But the beauty of these bridges was this. The video actually showed a grandpa with his granddaughter. These trees become bridges over time. What they do is they get the roots of these fig trees, they bind them together, and over hundreds of years they make bridges. And the beauty of it was this, that the grandpa was talking with the granddaughter and they were talking and she said, my grandfather is teaching me what I need to do. Granddad says, I'll never see the finish of this bridge. But I'm going to start now with this granddaughter and she will see it. With everything that we do, there is this time where we're planting in and that's what this time is for this church. We are planting in. We are building culture. We are building people of Christ. Our children in children's church, what a ministry to plant Christ in their heart. But the thing is, as I said last week, the seeds we sow are the seeds that grow. And as a church, what is the seed that we are planting? What is the example that we are giving? Are we thinking generationally? Are we thinking in 50 years' time, what will this church look like? In 100 years' time, what will it look like? In 200 years' time, if Jesus is not coming back yet, then what will this church look like? You know who's going to determine that? Not me. But the people here in this congregation today, what seeds are you planting now? Because it's whatever you plant that is going to be reproduced in this church. If we can understand the power of the seed, that everything needed for life is in it, and we begin to plant it, even though we might not even see the fruit, we begin to see generationally what's it going to look like. Can Cornerstone represent Jesus Christ well on earth? Can the kids in this church grow up loving and trusting God because there's a whole lot of faithful, loving, serving people in this church that they grab hold of the heart. The seeds that you sow are the seeds that grow. And you are going to determine the future of this church. Father God, I just thank you so much. Lord, your love. Oh, it's so amazing and awesome. I just pray this morning, Father, that you just shed that love in our hearts, even with your Holy Spirit today. Father, I thank you that you have called us to not be self-seeking, not to be jealous, but Lord God, to understand that in your kingdom, it's all about serving. 
Now today you might not have never ever received Jesus in your life. I don't know what's happening in your heart right now. There might be this funny feeling and you're like, I just don't know what it is. I feel uncomfortable. I feel like something's pressing on my chest. It's God talking to you. Because he wants you to be in his family and and what we need to do is believe these things, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he was sent from earth to heaven to die for us on the cross, at the cross he took care of my sin problem. And that means that each one of us, before we receive Jesus Christ as a rebel, we're not for him. And God wants you to turn your life around and just give it to him. You must recognize that you need Jesus. The death on the cross paid for your sin. He went to the grave. He rose again because the power of the Holy Spirit rose him from the dead and he conquered sin and death and he became what the Bible calls the firstborn of many. That everyone who believes in his name will not die but they will have everlasting life. So even though we die physically, we live forever with him. If that's you this morning, if you're feeling that tug on your heart, I'm just going to pray a prayer. I want you to pray with me. And you just write on the back of that green card that's in your seat, I received Jesus today. I'll give you a call during the week. Or you can talk to your friend or family who's with you and say, I prayed with that guy up the front. What's it mean to be a Christian? How's my life going to change? But right now, I'm going to give the opportunity to invite him into your life. You just agree with what I'm about to say and pray it in your head or out loud. doesn't matter. What matters is you believe it in your heart and you will confess it with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Father, I thank you for Jesus. Let's pray right now that you'll forgive me of my sin. I'm so sorry that I've walked apart from you. This morning, receive me into your family as your child. I believe that Jesus died for me. I believe he rose again from the dead. I believe that from this day forward, you are living in my heart and I'm going to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen.